Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so we're still in chapter 12, um, and guess what? We're going to be in chapter 12 another week. I just really happen to like chapter 12, I'm finding. Um, So we're in, um, if you have a little heading, we're under the sign of Jonah in verse 38. Let me... Let me go back. Let me recap a little bit since we've been in 12. Um, So the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 12 accused Jesus of healing. Um, He he drove out a demon and they accused him by doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus defended himself by saying a kingdom cannot be divided against itself and says, whoever is not gathering with me scatters. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. There's no in between. And he tells the Pharisees that they are going to have to give an account for every barren word that they have spoken, every word that has brought death and not life. But he's not done talking to them yet about this situation. Um, so then some of the Pharisees, in verse 38, and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. All right. So the Pharisees respond to Jesus by saying that they would believe, we would believe you if and only if you could give us a sign. And it doesn't seem like a question. They said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. And Jesus, I mean, if you've been following along, he's already done plenty of miracles. He's already done plenty of things. He's, he's shown much, much more than he, him being a mere teacher. I feel like beginning with this title, when they say teacher, they're trying to remind the crowd and remind him who he is. You're just a teacher, trying to put him back in his place. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Okay, they're trying to regain some power and authority by putting him back in his place. We need to see a sign to believe. And Jesus responds by saying a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Now, just to be clear, I I used to take for granted how much um, I was raised in the word and knew things in the Bible. So all these stories that we, we come to, all these things Jesus says, we're going to look at why he says them and what he means and look at the stories he's referencing just so no one misses out on all that Jesus is saying here. But he's not saying everyone here is adulterous. Everyone here is cheated on their spouse. He, he calls, God calls the children of Israel adulterous throughout the Old Testament. Okay, And this is because he has a covenant relationship with the people of Israel. Okay, And he is keeping his covenant. And they are not keeping their covenant. They are turning to other gods. And so he always says, you adulterous and wicked generation, turning away from me and breaking your covenant and being unfaithful to me, okay? 
And this is a note that he says this to the Pharisees because this isn't one of those times. These Pharisees, don't, they don't have idols. They're, they're not on the tops of mountains worshiping other gods, which a lot, a lot of times the Israel's, Israelites did um, in the Old Testament. And they're, they, in their mind, they are following God. But Jesus calls them an adulterous generation. And I think it's because their gods are themselves. They follow what they teach, what they came up with, what they see is right. They follow their rules and their regulations, and they have set themselves up as gods. And so they're listening to themselves over God. One time, um, a few years ago, there was a Super Bowl, and the Eagles were playing the Patriots, and I'm not an Eagles fan, but Nick Foles was the quarterback at the time. And so um, my son went to Craig at church and said, we're for the Eagles because they love God. And the Patriots just love themselves. And I was so proud in that moment because that's true. And Flynn could see it. He could see it in their hearts from a distance. You can see wickedness from a far distance off. But that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They loved themselves, okay? Whenever you picture a Pharisee, just picture a bunch of Tom Brady faces. And that's what you have. Um, Just kidding, just kidding. God loves Tom Brady. All right. But do we really believe that they, the Pharisees would have followed God if they saw a sign? They just say, we just need to see a sign. Show us the sign and, and we'll believe. And they didn't, even say, they didn't even say we'll believe. We just said, we, we, we want to see a sign. Okay? But would they really have believed? There's already, they've already seen enough signs already. They have already seen the miraculous before their eyes. If, if you remember, every time we've seen a miracle, who was there to debate that miracle? And the Pharisees, that they witnessed more miracles than probably anybody else besides the disciples, okay? And, they, and that wasn't enough. So why do they need to see one more sign? It's never going to be enough. And sometimes we want a sign in the same way. We want a sign that is indisputable. Lord, I just need you to do this, and I'll believe you. Lord, I just need you to do this, and I will follow you. This specific thing, I want a sign. I want the sign. Yeah, okay, you might have done those things, but those were kind of small. What I want to believe and follow you, I want the sign that I request when I request it. That's what I want to see, and I will believe. I want to pick what you do in my life, and when you do it, then I will follow. Now, I know we don't say prayers word for word like that, but sometimes our hearts, and I've seen many people give up on following Jesus because of that. They say, I asked God to do this, and he did not do it, and so I don't believe in him. He would not do the miracle I wanted when I wanted. God didn't do what I said to do. If you love me, you will do what I want. Does that sound like like the heart in our prayer sometimes? And is that love? I will follow you. I will love you if you do what I ask, right? I mean, Daisy says that to me sometimes, but most of the time you don't say that to people, you know? I'm just kidding. If you answer my prayers when I want and how I want, I'll follow you. But the miraculous is happening all around us every day. A few weeks ago, 
I mentioned that no one ever stops to pick up pennies. No one ever stops to pick up pennies because they're absolutely worthless. And sometimes we're like, I, what is it? I don't really like getting into this stuff because um, it's witchcraft. But um, like, it's like if a penny's like tails up, you don't pick it up or something. Does anyone know what that is? Oh, is that what you do? Okay, but it's bad if it's tails up or something. It's wicked. Okay. Well, I don't even look to see what the, and, and I don't care. I'd pick it up anyway. But no one picks up pennies. And it's, it, it's not strange to see a penny on the ground. In fact, when my kids pick up pennies, I'm like, I don't touch those. They're dirty. Well, like, it's money. But we see pennies on the ground. We don't pick them up because we consider them worthless, right? But I think that our prayers and our answered prayers and the miracles we see daily are like pennies on the street. There's pennies on the street. They're everywhere if we look. They're small, but they're everywhere. But we often pray for big, life-changing miracles. We want, we want to win the lottery of miracles. We want something that's going to change our life right now, overnight, right now, very quickly. We want huge miracles that are going to turn everything around in an instant. And God does do miracles like that. He does. God does do miracles like that. In fact, Brooke was telling uh, the youth last week um, that when she was in Nepal, the Christian God, what he's known for is healing. The Christians they came across who were Christians were Christians because he had healed them. Other people would come to them to be healed because they know the Christian God is a healer. That's what they know him as. Okay? So he does heal people, okay? He does do amazing, life-changing, lottery-sized miracles, okay? But that's often all we're praying for, these big, instantaneous, like, blessings that change my life in an instant. Meanwhile, there are so many answered prayers in our everyday life that are like pennies on the street, that if we did stop to collect them and pick them up and catalog them, that they would add up by the end of our life. They would add up to a fortune, of blessings poured out upon us by the living God in our daily lives that are just too small for us to notice. But those small things add up to big changes in our lives. Those small things turn us onto the correct path and do bring about blessing and do bring about a change in our life, but we don't see them because they're not big enough to grab our attention. Our prayers are answered like pennies on the street. They are commonplace, the miracles of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? When you stop, when I was singing of this, when I stopped and thought of all, every, every night when I'm praying with my kids, I thank him for our lives. I thank him for the friends that we have. I, I thank him for the church. I thank him for the house that we have. And I'm not trying to be like, I'm, I'm like super holy, and I just thank God for everything I have. Like, I'm not trying to be like that, but I, like I, when I stop to think and I begin down the list, okay, I'm just going to thank God for stuff. I, I, you have to stop somewhere because there's so many blessings that we have. We just need to look and see them, okay? And Jesus, in his goodness, in God's goodness, he, and this is the thing we don't notice, okay? God has raised the bar so high for blessings that if it doesn't hit that bar, it's like, well, that's, I mean, that's not a miracle, 
That's not, that's not, I mean, I want to like walk on water. I want to see someone come up from the dead, you know, because he's put this bar so high. And I mean, and these Pharisees, they have, they're seeing things every single day. They're seeing things every single day. Forget about the miracles God's doing with like casting out demons and, and healing sicknesses and making the blind see. Let's just think about the people that he's talking to and loving on that no one else notices. That's miraculous in itself. That he is loving on people that no one sees. There's something different about him beyond the miracles he's doing. His heart, his heart just shows God. But they can't see it. They don't see it. They are overlooking what God is doing. So we, we yeah, we, we saw that. We saw that. I saw that. I need to see another sign. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you answered my last prayer. You did. I said, Lord, help me pay the bills. And I paid those. And you paid those bills for me. You helped me. It worked out. But there, Lord, there's more bills. <laughs> and what I really want is I would just like, I just want to lump sum. I just want to, I just want to pay, pay that off. You know, who, who, who wins the lottery? And it's like, yeah, I just want a monthly payment of $2,000. You're like, yeah, no, give me, give me, give me the million dollars now, God. Okay. I want, I want it all now. But he says, the only sign you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's telling them that the only sign they're going to see is the Son of God in his death and resurrection. Which is the same sign for us. We live in the aftermath of that sign. That sign... We have all seen. We don't have to wait for it. You will see a sign. You will see a sign. The only sign you're going to see is my death and resurrection. Well, we live in the aftermath of that. It's the same sign, and it's no mere penny. It's the greatest gift that was given freely to all mankind. It's miracle enough if he did nothing else. It's sign enough if he was to do nothing else. And this sign traversed the entire globe, the entire globe. No one, there's no, there's no one who refutes that Jesus was a man and that he died on a cross. They refute, if they could just find the body, then they could refute it. But there's no, nothing to refute the resurrection of Jesus. And, 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 it's gone, and, this, and this is still changing people's lives around the world, okay? This sign we've received already. We were given the same sign as the Pharisees. And Jesus then says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, Nineveh is in present-day Iraq, just in case anyone is unfamiliar with the story, God told Jonah to go and warn the city of Nineveh that he was going to destroy it because of an evil city. Jonah does not want to go do it, and so he flees in the opposite direction uh, where God creates a storm and the men th throw him overboard to stop the wrath of God. And God sends a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish where he has a change of heart, and he goes... And he uh, talks to the people in Nineveh, and he warns them, and they turn from their ways. And afterwards, Jonah, if you've read the whole thing, 
isn't very happy about that. But he does go and do it. He, he tells the people of Nineveh, God is unhappy. He's going to destroy you. And they change their ways. Okay? They repent. And Jesus is saying they will stand in judgment because they who did not know God and did not know his ways, who were evil, okay, and had done far worse things than the Israelites of that time, they heard and they believed and they acted on it. And so God's people, and these are God's people who had every advantage, who knew God, who knew his ways, who had the book, heard and didn't act upon it. But Nineveh, who does not know God, they hear and they act. And Jesus is saying they will stand in judgment because they did not know God, and yet they heard and, and turned toward the truth while you turned away. And their very presence there. We say, how, how are we supposed to know? How could we have known? Well, we, we missed it. They didn't miss it. They didn't miss it. They didn't even have all the writings. They didn't have all the history with me that you did. And they did not miss it. The queen of the south will rise in judgment and condemn this generation for similar reasons. And this story is a little bit less well known. So I'm going to read it real quick. And it occurs in 1 Kings 10, if you want to turn there with me. And so in 1 Kings 10... It says, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. If you don't know who Solomon is, he's David, King David's son. So she came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness." And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spice, and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So something happens a little bit different here, okay? The queen of Sheba hears of Solomon, hears of his wisdom, hears of his relationship to the Lord. She hears even that part, but she says to herself, she does not believe it. Does not believe it. So what does she do? She travels to see if it's true. She investigates for herself and she tests Solomon to see if these things are true. And she discovers 
for herself. And what does she do after she discovers these things are true? She says, praise be to the Lord your God. Praise him. She gives him honor and glory. She gives honor and glory to God when she comes and sees that these things are true. She didn't immediately hear and believe. She wasn't changed, but she had doubts. But she said, I'm going to investigate to find out the truth. She doubted the truth, but she investigated. And in her investigation, she found that all that she had heard and more was true. That the things she didn't believe were not even the half of it. The goodness that she didn't believe in of this God, when she went and investigated, she found out that she didn't even know the half of it of how good he was. She was nowhere near where God was moving, but she traveled. Where does it say she traveled from the ends of the earth? Travels from the ends of the earth to see, to seek truth. Both the people of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba were not close to God, had no understanding of him, but they took him seriously and they found him. And their presence in the kingdom of God is judgment. For when the Pharisees say, how could we have known? They knew. They were evil. They didn't know anything about me, but they heard and they believed. She heard and did not believe, but didn't stop there. She said, let me go check it out. And then she found out. Different stories, but in the end, they discovered God. They knew. How did you not? How did you not know? He then goes into the meat of the issue with the next statement. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this quick, wicked generation. So let's talk real quick before we get into this about these arid places where the, the spirit who's driven out seeks rest. So in Leviticus 16, it speaks of a sacrifice with two goats, okay? And one of the goats is sacrificed to the Lord as a sin offering, and the other is sent off into the desert, like bearing the sins of the Israelites on it. And the idea is they're sending the sins of Israel away back to where they came from, the desert, back to where they came from. This is where the, this is where the term scapegoat comes from. That goat is the scapegoat, taking the sins out into the arid desert back where they came from. Okay, so the belief was that the demons who were exiled would wander around the desert because they had no, no person or to, to go into. And, but they didn't want to be there, so they would eventually return. And the person who has been delivered of this demon, we are told that they've cleaned the house, they've swept it, they've made some changes, they put things in order. But when the demon returns with stronger demons, they quickly take over and live there again. Okay, and wh- why was it so easy? Why was it so easy? And what does Jesus mean by this? So let's go back real quick to verse 29 in the same chapter because it's tied to these verses. And I think it's easy to forget because he's been talking to Pharisees for so long and saying so many things that we kind of can forget what this whole discussion is about anyway. Okay, which was because Jesus cast out a demon. Okay, and they said he did it by the power of Satan. 
And in verse 29, Jesus says, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. And in this verse, in this description of what is happening, in this example that Jesus is giving, the strong man is Satan. Jesus is the one entering the strong man's house and plundering it and taking what's his. And the house is the earth. And Satan is a strong man of the house. So what is he talking about? Well, we're told in Genesis that man was given dominion over all the earth. Man was given dominion over all the earth. And when man sinned, when the one given dominion over all the earth becomes a slave to sin, dominion was handed over. Dominion of the earth was handed over. And if the one who stands with dominion is defeated by another, who has the rights to the dark saber? Same concept, okay? Satan is often called the prince of this world in the Bible. In John 12, 31, it says, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. In Ephesians 2, 2, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and I've just picked a few. There's a ton. Um, it says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when Adam sinned, he handed over dominion of the earth. If you ever ask yourself, why do bad, why do bad things happen? Why do evil things happen? This is why. Okay, short answer. All right. But not forever. Okay, Revelation 5, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Many believe that this scroll is the deed bought back by the blood of the lamb. And why, why I brought this up is because we are talking about dominion. Who has dominion? We can change our habits. We can set things in order. We can change things up, okay? We can clean up and clean house, but it's still by our own actions, by all the good works that we do, by all the good things we've done to make ourselves better, to make ourselves look good on the outside and look good on the inside, Maybe we, we have like so many programs that we followed. You know, we read little books that are like the secret. And you're like, I know the secret now. And I use the secret to change my life, right? I drink this shake and it just cleans me out. Um, I didn't know where that was going to go when I started with it. Um, 
But we, and we do, like, when we look online, we, like, see things, and we're just like, we're like, this will better your life. This will better your life. This, this will help you get organized, right? And, and we, people want to better themselves, right? I mean, some people, not me, but some people, um, people want to better themselves. And we're like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and make myself a better person, and make myself a good person, right? But the house is still empty. It's clean, but still empty, and this is what the Pharisees had done. This is what he's talking about. This is what the Pharisees had done. They had called, let's not give them a total bad break. The Pharisees had called for the people of Israel, let's return to the Lord. Let's return to the Lord. Let's study the law. Let's, let's know his word. Let's know his law. Let's follow God, right? And they put everything in order. They cleaned house in Israel. They cleaned house, but God wasn't in it. They did things their way. How do we interpret this rule? What do we think should happen, right? And so Israel looks and seems cleaned up, but they haven't truly returned to God. They haven't really put him on the throne. They haven't really given him back dominion over Israel. They've just cleaned up. They've just gotten rid of some things. They're like, we're not going to worship those gods anymore. That's awesome. Are you worshiping God? We're not going to do those things anymore. Okay, but what are you doing instead? And I'm not talking about changing habits, you know, like, oh, you need to take a bad thing and replace it with a good thing, right? That's not what I'm talking about. God did not have dominion over their lives. We can focus on being a good person. We can have great purpose, Right? We can, we can have, read books like uh, The Purpose Driven Life, right? And we're like, I know my purpose now, right? We can do all these things to better ourselves. We can re even read the Bible and we can try to modify our behavior and our own power to try to be more like Christ. What well, says to be more like Christ? I'm going to modify my behavior and my own power so that I am more like Christ and we can clean our house. But if God does not live inside of us, if we do not give him dominion and say, God, I am yours lead me where you want to go, fill this house, come in and take over, then that house is still empty. It's empty. And I think that's why we find so many people unfulfilled with the Christian life. It's a list of rules I can't, I can't, I can't fulfill. I'm around these people who look at me different, or they, or they, and everything looks clean, right? Everything looks clean. But if God is in the house, then the house gets clean, but it's full. We can't just clean the house. We have to give God dominion over our lives. We have to invite him to live inside of us. This is how we do not err. Because we're following him. This is how we get things right. The Holy Spirit has to live inside of us because only, only, when God has dominion over us, can we defeat Satan? Only when God has dominion over us, only by the power of his spirit can we defeat sin. Only by the power of the blood, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we defeat sin and defeat the desires of the flesh. Because sometimes when we get saved, we're like, man, I, some of, I still have these desires. I still, I still have these habits. And we can, by our own power, try to clean house, but only God and the power of the blood of Jesus truly washes us white as snow and fills that house.
And so my question for us as Christians today is, have we truly given God dominion over our lives? Does God truly sit on the throne in our hearts? Does what he say go? Do we follow him wherever he leads? Or do we just make it a habit to try to clean up every week? Come to church and hear something, something I want to change, and then we go home and we try to change it, and then maybe we fail after a week or two weeks, and the house just never gets clean. Or even if it does, even if we've got a, this clean house and what people see is like, man, this, 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 these people are perfect, but then we still feel empty. And like, why am I feeling empty? Because God has to do it. We, can, we cannot earn it through our own works. We cannot earn it by cleaning the house. We cannot earn it through our actions. We just have, it starts, it begins with giving God dominion over our hearts and over our lives. Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you that you don't come, even though I wish you would come and just take over and make us follow you and make us do what's right, Lord. You're just, you're seeking a relationship of love. You want us to choose you. You want us to come to you. You don't, you don't wrestle dominion from us. We have to offer it. Lord, and it can be a continual battle for us to continually lay things down at your feet to give you dominion over our lives. Often we have to remind ourselves, who, who's on the throne? Am I on the throne? Have I truly placed God on the throne? But I thank you that you are patient with us. I thank you that you continually seek us out, and I thank you that when we do give you dominion over our lives, Lord, the changes that you can bring are miraculous. They are more than pennies on the street, Lord. They are life-changing. They change lives more than any lottery could, and those changes last forever, Lord. I thank you for what you've already done in our lives. I thank you for what you're continuing to do, Lord, and I just pray that your people that each of us as individuals, Lord, and as your church, as a church of the living God, that we would lay at your feet and give you dominion. If you need to give God dominion over your life right now, just, just pray with me. Just, just talk to him. I, Lord, I, I give you dominion over my life, Lord. I, I give you dominion, Lord. I invite you in. Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of my sins yesterday and the day before, Lord. We're never perfect. We constantly have to repent of our sin, Lord. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your blood that washes clean. I repent for trying to take, make all the decisions myself, Lord. I repent for trying to do what, what I see is right. Lord, I give you dominion over my life, Lord. We invite you inside. We invite you. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. Take control of our lives. Take control of your church, Lord, and make it about you. We give you dominion. You are on the throne either way, Lord, but we will follow you wherever you lead, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the blessings you've poured out upon us, Lord. If we saw nothing else, if you answered no other prayers, you have done enough. Yeah, you continue, and it just shows your goodness, Lord. You are so good. And we thank you 
that you are in control. Thank you that you are in control. We love you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.